This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, I'm actor and comedian Griffin Newman. And I'm film critic David Sim. Together, we host Blank Check, a movie podcast where week by week we overanalyze directors' complete filmographies. In each new series, we discuss filmmakers who experience early success and are issued a series of blank checks by Hollywood to make their own crazy passion projects. Now, sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. We're joined each week by incredible guests, including actors, writers, and directors. So you can follow Blank Check with Griffin and David on Spotify for new episodes every Sunday. Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. The year is 1986, and who's your daddy? Technical foul! Terrible pun. You're out of here, Nicholson. That's a terrible pun. All right, the movie is called Hoosiers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I'm Paul Shear, and this is the show where we are endeavoring to find the 100 best films of all time. We've been through the AFI list, and now we are on our own journey, using miniseries to help us find maybe the best film in a certain genre. And this week, we are launching a brand new miniseries. It is called Underdogs, and it is all sports films, but here's the gimmick, all based on true life events. Which, it turns out, there are a ton, a ton yes. of sports films based on true life events, which backs up a point that I believe very strongly, that sports is emotion and narrative. Sports games are mini movies. 90 minutes, dribbling, sweating, characters, arcs, triumph and defeat, and now in film form. No, absolutely. I think, you know, unfortunately, and we'll see how this kind of plays out in the series, we're always going to find ourselves probably in the same narrative uh, story because I think sports films are about the underdogs. Very rarely do you have a team that starts off great and then uh, continues to be great. Uh, or There's not that many Lakers in the world. It's hard. <laughs> um, but look, that means that there should be, I mean, we need a Clippers movie bad. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> A tragedy. It'll definitely sweep all the Golden Globes. Uh, I told you, I have my Pat Bev movie ready to go. Uh, it will be great. Um, but no, this will be interesting to see how different people are able to tell this story of the underdog. And we are trying to explore a lot of different sports. And we're taking some films that may not be classics, but are films that people love. They're beloved 
sports films. Starting off with basketball with Hoosiers. Then we're going into football with Brian's song. Uh, then we're going into uh, the Olympics and specifically bobsledding with the Jamaican bobsled film Cool Runnings. Uh, then we go into track and field, which uh, is Chariots of Fire. And finally, we end on baseball in a film that you and I have been wanting to talk about for such a long time, A League of Their Own. So we really tried to make sure we covered uh, a lot of sports. Obviously, there are sports that we left out. I know that there is no soccer. There's no Bend It Like Beckham in here. But, uh, but there could we, be if the audience thereby deems it for the fanfic. Well, as long as it is based in something true. And that is the that is the caveat here. We will come back to sports films, uh, the fictionalized accounts as well. But this is all based on uh, true events, uh, real life events. So I'm excited to explore all of these with you, Amy. Um, and I'm excited about this film because this film, uh, Hoosiers, is one that really made an impact on me when I was a kid. I, I felt like it was on a lot. I felt like I learned a little bit about basketball. I also felt it was an adult film, so I was really leaning into it. And then once I found Major League, that kind of became my de facto sports movie. And that, not based on a real life story? I'm not sure. I can't, I can't quite remember. I don't know. I mean, Hoosiers, to <laughs> me, it felt like a natural one to kick off this series because my dad had a VHS tape. My dad loved it. Somehow, I've actually never seen it. But when you talk oh, about wow. sports films, especially sports films based on a true story, Hoosiers is right at the top of the list. I mean, this is a film that was ranked number 13 by the AFI on its 100 years, 100 cheers of the most inspirational films of all time. Uh, USA Today, their readers chose it the number one sports movie of all time. And AFI even said that it's in the top 10 of the classic sports genre films. This is a sports film that I think exists in the same breath as even talking about sports films. You can't talk about sports films without mentioning Hoosiers. So well, we're going to start off with some Hoosiers. Let's check the ball and make sure it's ready to unspool it. The year is 1986. The Challenger space shuttle disintegrates 73 seconds after launch and killing all seven astronauts on board. The Oprah Winfrey show debuts on TV and the Phantom of the Opera debuts on the West End. A nuclear power station in the Ukraine explodes, causing the release of radioactive material across much of Europe. The Chernobyl disaster displaced hundreds of thousands of people and decimated the surrounding area. It is revealed to the American public that the president's administration illegally sold weapons to Iran in order to fund the Contras. Smoking is banned on all U.S. public transport. And this year's popular films are Top Gun, Platoon, Aliens, and today's film, Hoosiers. Uh, Amy, who's in it? Who made it? What's it about? Hoosiers. This is the kind of sort of based on a true story of the most beloved high school basketball team in Indiana history. And Indiana, by the way, loves basketball. But if you talk to anybody from Indiana about basketball, they're going to say our greatest basketball story. It's when these boys from the small farm town of Milan beat the big city school in Muncie in the 1954 Indiana State Championships. You might call this story of Hoosiers a David and Goliath story. I mean, the Indiana State Museum, they are the first people to call it a David and Goliath story. On March 20th, 1954, one such fable was born when a small town team from Milan, Indiana, took on the Goliath of teams for the high school basketball state championship and walked away with a Cinderella story. Nine seconds. 
And it is a story that was very well known to the writers, the producer who made this film because they were Indiana frat boys. They wound up at USC going to film school together and they said, this is the story that they must make. And they got first time director David Anspa to make it. And the film itself became this underdog, huge sensation. Now, who we got in here? We got Gene Hackman. He's playing the coach, Norman Dale. We have Dennis Hopper playing his drunk assistant coach, Shooter. You got Barbara Hershey. She's this love interest slash moral compass of the film. And then you have a bunch of real Indiana basketball kids playing these real Indiana basketball kids. And they're just going to get their ragtag team all the way to a trophy. Let's listen to a clip. (laughs) Do you have a scouting report? Well, more important to me than a scouting report. My boys only know basketball, farming, and school, probably in that order. Most of them never seen a building taller than two stories except in a photograph, so... <laughs> Taking them to Indianapolis and playing in front of 15,000 people is kind of like uh, you and me going to the moon. <laughs> so what team we play is the least of my concern. Will we be back at Hickory next year? Oh, certainly. It's a good question! Now, Hoosiers came out on November 14th, 1986, which was just after the start of the 86-87 NBA series. And if you were into basketball as you headed to see this film, it would be hard not to think about how at that moment, the reigning NBA MVP champ was another real-life kid from Indiana, Larry Bird. Y'all know Larry Bird, a.k.a. the Hick from French Lick, who was, of course, playing (laughs) at that time for the Celtics. Now, I think that makes it magical that the number one song on the charts that weekend happened to be by a little group called Boston. I have somehow never heard this song, but it is called Amanda. Ooh. Amy, I actually have heard that song. Oh, you were really um, in Boston back then. I only know more than a feeling, and I really only know it because of Guitar Hero. I think, oh, well, man, Guitar Hero, that was fun. We got to get back to that. What happened? What happened to us? Why do we have switches without being able to play guitar? I want to get one of those, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a little mini piano that you can learn piano on, but it lights up like Guitar Hero, but it's supposed to teach you really well. I see it on wow. Instagram. I've really fallen victim to Instagram ads is what I'm telling you. I look at every notebook and I think it's going to make me more productive. And uh, it's a wormhole that I'm in right now. I don't know if any of these things actually work, but that piano seems pretty cool. I'm jealous of your ads. All I get is like leggings and icing things to make cakes, icing spatulas. Interesting. Uh, This movie, uh, like I said, I remember it as uh, a film that I had on VHS when I was a kid. Um, And I would fast forward to different parts of it because I felt like my kid brain was like, it's too slow. It's too, uh, like I want to get to the basketball stuff. I want to get to the climactic moments. And the beginning is very patient. And, you know, I think as a a 10 year old, you don't really care about Gene Hackman kind of coming into the school and, and making friends. Uh, but it was interesting to kind of sit back and rewatch it because I think it's really hard to look at a movie like this in the scope of all the films that we have had that are about sports, because it definitely is a building block of the modern sports film. Um, And I think that in a way it shows its age because of that. And also you see its influence on so many films after this. 
Yeah, I mean, it is very much a template, very much a template. And it seems to have put just a mark on American pop culture at the time that it came out, which I, I was, it was really interesting going back and trying to like trace it all back. I mean, first off, it just occurred to me that I didn't know what a Hoosier was. Do you know what a Hoosier is? No, I don't. Okay, so like Hoosier, there's a lot of doubt about this. So Hoosier is kind of like the catch-all term from like all people from Indiana. This is a quintessential sports film from a state that is the quintessential basketball state, which I didn't really realize until I was doing the research for this episode, that Indiana historically at any given time has more players in the NBA than any other state. Indiana is like, we are the basketball state, man. We put a claim on this. And I was curious. I was trying to like figure out why Indiana is such a basketball state. And one of the theories is that because it is mostly farm country, um, a lot of the local high schools didn't have money to have a full football team. So because they couldn't afford a football team, all the local schools got really into basketball. And then there's the second thing, which is because Indiana high schools were so small and so rural, a lot of them didn't have big, you know, populations to fund a full basketball team or to have enough players for the full basketball team. And they just kind of decided to have this like free for all approach to how they structured athletics in the high school system. You know, if you're in like most other states in America, There's like a division for the small schools. They all play each other for like the state championship, you know, the smaller divisions and the bigger high schools all play each other for that division. But in Indiana, they're kind of like all bets are off, I guess, because they thought they're all all equally small. So they're like, there are no big, there is no difference between like a big division and a small division in high school athletics. So that is how you get a setup, like what happened in 1954 when a town that had like 161 kids in their high school wound up playing the big school in Muncie for the championship. These kind of imbalances that have always made Indiana really fun to watch basketball in. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things this film does incredibly well is capture that aesthetic of this small town in the middle of a big, empty state, right? You see it a lot in the montages. I think that the film has some really beautiful cinematography, uh, especially outside of the basketball games. I'd almost argue that the cinematography off the basketball court is more impressive than some of the, the cinematography during the basketball games. You really you really feel a sense of place and time uh, yeah, when you watch this film. Yeah, it takes the time in the opening to show Gene Hackman driving from just before dawn to just around sunset and driving through almost nothing to get across Indiana to where he needs to go in his one tiny town to show how much empty space there is. It made me think kind of of atoms, you know, how like all the empty space inside of an atom, that seems to be the way they paint Indiana in the cinematography. Yeah, and I think, you know, you feel this pride during the montage when they're traveling and you see the farmers painting, uh, you know, on the side of the barn as they're going past and the idea that they use the bus for part of the church revivals during the summer, but they use it for the basketball team during the basketball season. I love all the detail and all the care. And there's something incredibly grounded about it. I, I really felt that what David Anspaugh is able to do with this film is not Hollywood the world that this movie takes place in. Yeah, I mean, the I think the iconic image of this film that I knew even before I watched it for this episode is the star basketball player, you know, a kid named Jimmy, um, who's played by Maris Valianis. 
that he's out there doing his practices, practicing his shot, and he's practicing on, you know, kind of like a dirt, sand, outdoor field with no bounce to it. So he shoots the ball against the backdrop. It goes in and he has to basically walk over to go pick up the ball because it doesn't bounce back to him. And it's this idea of like stubbornness that I think you see in that shot, kind of like this nonverbal communication of like, if you want to play basketball here, you don't have any advantages. You're going to have to do all of the work, extra work, because you don't even have a court to bounce the ball back to you. Well, this is a whole movie about people with a chip on their shoulder, right? They're, they are hardened and we don't know exactly why they are hardened. We don't know uh, what has caused them to get here. We hear elements of it all, whether it's Dennis Hopper, Gene Hackman, and we, but we feel the weight of what you just described. You shoot a hoop, you go have to walk over, pick it up. Like nothing is coming easy to anyone here. And in a way, I think that that's one of the things that really makes this movie stand out uh, for me as far as an underdog story, because it's it's a movie where the characters aren't incredibly likable and you don't feel like, oh, my gosh, this is the perfect mix. And if they only just figure out this, you know, X, Y or Z, it'll all work out like, you know, Gene Hackman, I think, has this amazing ability to be accessible, but also like he's a dick, like he's not like the best, like I don't walk away going, he's the best coach of all time. I think there's elements of it, but he's a more complicated character. The basketball players aren't, you know, again, I made a joke about Major League in the beginning. Like, there's nothing showy really about any of these characters. They all have this edge, which I think is also hard to kind of lean in and root because you have to like, they make you earn it. Like, you know, it's it's sort of like a, a difficult friend. It's like, oh, once you get to know them, you'll really love them. And you in this movie doesn't take you by the hand, doesn't go like, oh my gosh, just give Gene Hackman a break because he's great. He's not. He's not like, he's not like effusively great. Like I think one of the first couple of scenes, he's just being a dick right out of the gate. And then he's being a dick with the team right away. Like there's no soft serve on Gene Hackman at all. Like he is coming in hot and, uh, and the, the players too. Then let's get into it. Let's get into the whole thing. Because I think this is a really interesting film to be doing first in our section on stories based on a true life. And maybe because we're about to do this, you know, four several episodes in a row, I want to talk about what what I look for, at least as a critic, when I watch a film that's based on a true life story. Okay. You know, like what I think is interesting is not so much that a film has to tell everything exactly how it was. You know, like I don't grade a film that's based on a true story on accuracy, but I do grade it on what did you change and why did you change it? I feel like and to me that yeah. is the fair way. Like you you are absolutely willing to take a story and put your fingers into it and pull out what you want and need a massage. But I want to be able to analyze like why you did that. You know, one of the examples I usually use when I talk about it, um, I use a couple because they came out in short order. Like I use a film like Lone Survivor and a film like... Um, Saving Mr. Banks, the one about mm-hmm. Mary Poppins, you know, both films that like came around at the same time and took like huge liberties with their stories. And neither one I liked for you know similar reasons. Like, you know, I think Lone Survivor isn't even really psychoanalyzing. It's garbage. I'll talk about it some other day. But so let's talk about Saving Mr. Banks. You know, that story is based on how the movie Mary Poppins came to be, you know, like the clash between the author of the book, Mary Poppins, 
and Walt Disney who ran the studio and how they didn't get along and how together they made this movie. And one of the things that that film changes is the woman who wrote Mary Poppins, who's played by Emma Thompson, you know, it was played as kind of like this almost, I kept thinking it was like a Harry Potter villain version of a woman, you know, dressed like a librarian, all kind of buttoned up and a little bit mean, a little bit like just Britishy and fussy in all of those ways. And Walt Disney, instead of being like the tyrant as we know him, is played by like Tom Hanks, the most lovable man on the planet. You're, you're choosing these little things to kind of set up this battle of people. And to, you know, look at that and then think, to learn that like the woman who wrote Mary Poppins was actually this like caftan wearing bisexual libertine who was actually very free and open and very modern. And Walt Disney is, of course, an asshole. You know, in the film makes these right. little things. Disney makes a film about its story to cast... Disney as the hero and tweak her character so that she seems like the person we don't like, you know? And so when a movie makes a change like that, to me, I want to ask, like, why did you change that? Why would you have done that? Like, what is your purpose here? And so that's kind of what I want to look at when we look at Hoosiers and all the other films in this is like, I want to talk about what was real and what wasn't real and what they changed. But then I want to get into like, why? Because to me, the why is the most interesting part. No, I totally agree because I think we're, we tend to have an emotionally positive response to something that is based in true life, right? We just, oh, it actually happened. And we turn off that part of our brain where we say, that's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. That couldn't have happened like that. But when we know it's true, it it oddly connects us. I think it makes us feel like, oh, wow, anything is possible. I, I can do this or I can be this person. And, you know, when we watched the movie like Stand and Deliver, yes, they compacted some stuff, you know, but they may have taken this meeting and they put it in a different spot. But the guts... The guts and the character are right. And that's what we're looking at. And here, you're right. In my research of it, this movie is a little interesting on how they painted it. They definitely arched this movie to be more dramatic, more of a motion picture. Yeah. I mean, one of the people who I think is really interesting to read about the making of this movie is a guy named Bobby Plump. Mm-hmm. And who Bobby Plump is, is Bobby Plump was actually a basketball player on the 1954 Milan team that like mm-hmm. went all the way and won the championship. He's the guy that Jimmy, that character is kind of more or less based on. And so when they were writing Hoosiers, they went to Bobby and they're like, we want to make this movie about your story. And he was like, you know, you can't make a movie about everybody hugging and loving and kissing. Just like, right. Everything was great. Um, and so they had to add this drama. And one of the things that they did is this Gene Hackman character that we're talking about, you know, like Gene Hackman, the real coach was a guy named Marvin Wood, who was actually hired when he was just 24. Like he was this kind of young guy who came in, had been a player, you know, and was didn't have this backstory that they give to Gene Hackman, that Gene Hackman is this disgraced former coach who had been coaching for the NCAAs and then got kicked out of his college in Ithaca because, well, you know, he strangled one of his own players during a championship game and was therefore deemed ineligible for playing, uh, for coaching NCAA ever since, which is then how he winds up in the Marines. And then finally how he winds up teaching at a really rural high school. So they give him this backstory of being a person of like anger and aggression and like violence, a story that is actually not too different than a really famous Indiana coach at the time. You know, the guy, Bobby Knight, who was coaching the real life Hoosiers who was known for like throwing chairs at people, for beating up his players. He broke his own son's nose at one point for being like a horrible, angry, violent guy who also won a lot. And it feels like they kind of layered a little bit of Bobby Knight onto this character, you know, 
which I think is interesting because watching it now, you can't help but think like, kind of like what you're touching on. This guy seems like a jerk. You know, this guy seems kind of like a creep. Is this guy being a creep worth winning? And I feel like a film today would question that. And this film doesn't. It's well, I mean, all. yeah. It's like he's kind of a jerk. Maybe he'll get it together. Well, <laughs> the all... They also bring him in into a world of a grieving town, right? We are led to believe, well, we are not led to believe. The story tells us that this coach died and, and it has affected the town. And, and, and you feel that weight. We talk about this weight. That's not true either. The coach was fired, right? Because he ordered new uniforms against the superintendent's orders. Like that's, like that's why... He was gone, and that's why the new coach came in. And not to say that that wasn't fair, but it definitely amps up the drama. And I understand, like, I understand on a certain level where all these choices make a better film. But when you go and tell me that Bobby Plump is saying, well, there's not that much drama, then I go, well, then you've just kind of invented a full story, right? You've just now, like, you've invented the three things that are interesting about the movie. A grieving town, a coach on his last legs, and then, you know, a team that really didn't have issues. Just sort of like, good coach, got in, they played well, they won. Um, so it is, an you know, and again, we got to compare the movie as it stands as, as itself and also the true story. But that's a lot of, a lot of replacement elements have gone on here. Yeah, it feels like what's really interesting to the film is is the story of like how much does basketball mean to the people of Indiana? Right. You know, I feel like that's really where this film feels credible. You know, very early on, Gene Hackman shows up in this town and he's basically cornered in what looks like an ad hoc town hall to get yelled at, questioned, undermined, bossed around by every other man in the town who takes this very seriously. This town doesn't like change much. So we thought we'd get together here tonight and uh, show you how we do things here. We trust that you're a fine, upstanding, God-fearing man with Christian morals and principles who will, will set an example and a standard of leadership for our boys. Tell me, do you believe in man-to-man or zone defense? <laughs> zone defense is all we've played in the past, yeah, and right. it's the only thing that'll work this year. That's right, Listen, I ain't interested in talking defense here, and I don't have a hair of a notion why we hired someone who's been in the water for the last 10 years. <laughs> now, the main point here is we don't get Jimmy Chipwood back playing ball. We don't have a prayer. He switches over to Terhune. We're in big trouble. Mr.'s right, Coach. Jimmy's the jack to their yeah. It's been real nice talking to you. Good night. And I have to admit, you kind of, as, as big of a jerk as Gene Hackman is, you're sort of aligned with him in that scene you're, as he, like, leaves. He's like, I don't really have to listen to this. And to watch him do stuff later on, like, basically literally push a sheriff out of his basketball practice, throw his weight around the coach pushing a sheriff out of his gym, being like, I'm in charge here. Keep out of here. There, There is that kind of, I don't know, Bart Simpson energy to him that is, you're like, you're that guy. Go for it. Get it done. <laughs> you know, kick everybody out. Throw your weight around, Gene Hackman. But it reminded me a little bit of the Gene Hackman that I don't love. Like, remember one of our earlier films was like French Connection. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why? Why do we have to have this? What is this? I don't like well, this kid. 
Well, I'll say this about Gene Hackman, and I'm a Gene Hackman fan. But Gene Hackman, in my opinion, is like all great leading men in the sense that you are going to see a Gene Hackman film. Very rarely do you see a leading man. I think leading actresses do it a little bit more, but like, you know, um, really transform themselves. And I will say that in watching this film, I was struck by how not period specific Gene Hackman was. Like, this is the Gene Hackman of French Connection. This is the Gene Hackman that you would see in a movie made in 1986. There was nothing about Gene Hackman that felt 1951 to me. Maybe I'm looking for something more, but did you feel that at all with him? I mean, maybe maybe it's really hard to concentrate on that when this is the soundtrack to a movie that is supposedly set in well, the 50s. Uh, I mean, this is this the, okay, yeah. this is this is the soundtrack when people are not listening to Gene Hackman about his rule of passing the basketball four times. Okay, Paul, I just have to say, I don't understand the music in this movie at all, and it got nominated for an Oscar. What's wrong with me? Is it No, no, no. Amy, that was one of the first notes I really wrote down here. Uh, This music is bonkers. Like, it (laughs) it is bonkers in a way that it took me out. It took me out. I was trying to appreciate it. I was, I read that one of the arguments for the soundtrack was that he would use real basketball court sounds and like incorporate them into the music. That's cool. Um, but how is this? You're right, the, the lack of 1950s of ish of this movie is very startling. I just don't feel it. Like it, it, everybody looks like they're in a Levi's commercial from 1982 and everybody has a flat top. Like, I guess they all wear Converse. Maybe that's like our signature. Like Rocky wore Converse. These guys play basketball in Converse. So if people wear Converse, it's a period film. But I'm right. Converse. Can I be a period film? Uh, <laughs> I mean, because now you're looking at, you're making me look at things that I often be like, oh, who cares? Who cares? But it did, it did bother me. Okay, Paul, I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think I like Hoosiers. Oh, Amy, 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 Amy. How dare you not like this classic, this American classic, because I was going to be the person that was going to say, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, Amy. I, I, I'm very conflicted about it. And, be, and I'll tell you why. There's so many things to like in it. And then there's a lot of things that I really don't like in it. And and I'm mixed because whenever anything is this beloved, and it seems like you and I have had this happen to us in the past, you more than me, but when it's so beloved, are we just taking the, the contrarian view? And I can say, honestly, I went into this movie really excited to watch it. So I don't think me I was too. like, oh, I, yeah. I wasn't like, oh, let impress me. I felt like it was a Cliff Notes version of a sports movie. I felt like it raced through beats. I felt like they set up beats, but it was almost as if I was fast forwarding through a movie 
And then I would stop and make, okay, now I know where we're at. And then we fast forwarding and then, okay, but it didn't feel as cohesive as I wanted it to be. I, I was like, wait, why am I not like connecting here? What's missing? I mean, the, the Barbara Hershey love story is like, okay, right. You're setting this up. It doesn't really pay off or do anything. It kind of just like ends in the mud. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden they're winning. It's, it just seems like everything is, everything's to that last game. And I think the most emotional I got, there's two moments that I really, really loved. The kid praying and then coming in and doing like really, really well. And then the one kid coming off the bench who had to shoot the three, the free throws at the end. Like, you know, like. Who shot them granny style? I was was so upset that he was shooting free throws granny style that I had to like try to read everything about it. I was like, were you only allowed to shoot free throws granny style in the 50s? Is this like a thing about how you shoot back then? And, And the story that I found is that just the kid who played. Um, the shorter guy who played Ollie, Wade Shank, he was like, I was just too good at free throws and I had to shoot it in a crazy way so I would miss. Wow. But it, but like, but it kind of took me out. I'm like, because anyone, this whole thing, like if he's, if he never learned how to shoot a three throw, what is he even doing in practice? Wait, that was also made up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm having really even more issues because I was yeah. like, oh, there's something interesting about that. Because I know like a lot of professional basketball players will have interesting ways to shoot free throws when they're not making free throws. Like, I think that Shaq tried different things at certain points, and you you see all these crazy techniques. Um, And I believe there's been some underhanded free throws in the NBA even, just because it's sort of like, this is not my strong suit, and I'm going to try to get it in the best I can. I hear exactly what you're saying. I think the script of this film... Is crazy. Like I think there's a lot to a lot of great things you said about the direction and the tone that's set and the realism of it, but the script is crazy, and I don't understand how it fits together because I felt like I was being exposed to beats that were just put together in the most confusing way. One of the ones that really stuck out to me is okay. So like Gene Hackman um, is aware that Dennis Hopper knows everything about basketball. That he's like this local guy. That Dennis Hopper, I think, has a really interesting backstory. You know, that he is a guy who was on one of the potentially winning basketball teams. And when his big moment came in the big game where he had to make a basket and the team was going to win and he'd be the hero, he missed. And he tells that story the very first time we hear him. Wilbur Shooter Flats. This is Norman Dale, our new coach. How are you? Coach. Cleachy, tell him. Sectionals at 33. One point down. Five, four, three, two, one. Let her fly. In and out. <clears throat> yeah. Well, not a foul. I'll do this if you had uh, some small change. Uh, Mrs. and I have had a partner in the ways on the smoke. We'll get you some beef. Give it up. Give it up. Sorry, Everett. That ain't your fault. It's my friend. I'm my friend of years. I don't want to hear it, Dad. And in that story, you get you get kind of a glimpse of the world that has always kept me out of playing athletic sports is like, oh, my God, they're traumatic. Like you could f- screw up and it could affect the entire rest of your life. Like you get the sense that he's never gotten over losing the big game in front of people. And now he's this alcoholic and yet he knows everything and he has all these opinions. I mean, and you so- know what I thought of? I thought that was like that's like a Quint speech. <laughs> I mean, is there a different, yeah. I mean, I guess Quint is not real, but yeah. I mean, Quint, you know, based on a true story, I mean, but there's something about that too, I guess. Yeah. But I guess what you're saying is 
Can sports be that traumatic? And I guess yeah. the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, the fear of them being that traumatic has kept me out of sports my entire life, much to my detriment as a human being. I would be a much better human being if I yeah. had learned how to fail. But um, but yeah, so then like Gene Hackman is like, you can be on you can be on the team, you can be my assistant coach, but you cannot drink. If I ever catch a whiff of alcohol on your breath, you're never gonna do this again. Can't do it. Won't happen. I'm serious about it. I'm Gene Hackman. I'm laying down the law. You've seen me lay down the law in this movie already. Like that guy whispered, he's off the team. He's gone. Like I make rules. I want you to come to practices and uh, sit on the bench with me during the games. <laughs> me? <laughs> you and me? <laughs> what do you say? No, no, under the following conditions. That you um, uh, clean yourself up. shave and uh, 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 you show up at the games on time and the practices and uh, you wear a shirt and tie well, i got myself a suit right there i, I got a wing dinger I, yeah. I was married in that suit there. and that you're sober oh no my wife sent you no my son what what is my Drinking got to do with my knowledge about basketball. You can't drink in front of these boys. If I uh, smell even a trace of liquor on your breath, you'll be finished. I have to hear that from you. You're embarrassing your son. I don't need to hear that. I, I'd. I'd uh, I'd like you to leave. And then like a beat later, you get this montage of how great they're doing. And it's like, oh, the music is kicking in and they're doing really well. And then out of nowhere, this montage cuts to Gene Hackman shoving Dennis Hopper's face in a bunch of water and yelling at him for being drunk. Me. I stuck my neck out for you. You live up here in a bargain or get yourself in a hospital and dry out. I didn't think I could cut it. You could cut it. I didn't think I could cut it the other night either, but after what Jimmy did, it would take the Indiana National Guard to get me out of here. My own nerves are shot. Hey, we're coming together as a team. With Jimmy, all the pistons are firing. We got 10 games to play, right? We're going to be a tough team to beat. Now you come along for the ride. Okay, but oh, you got to give me your word that you will not be kicked out of no games. Scout's honor. Scout's honor. <laughs> And can I just say when that happened, I was like, what is wrong with this movie? Because then if he was drinking, we didn't see him get drunk. So I guess he did get drunk. And then I guess Dennis Hopper like got drunk. And then like Gene Hackman had to put his head in the thing. But then Gene Hackman didn't fire him. So he didn't really carry through with this threat. But then later on, he shows up drunk and he does like, is he drinking or not? Like, what is happening? Why is this in here out of nowhere? Did it seem get cut well, or he was yeah. drunk. like what, what is happening in that scene because all of us that are now gene hackman is not carrying out his threats and what that feels like it just feels like somebody threw a loogie in the middle of a montage and i'm confused 
And that's what's odd. And I, I couldn't quite parse it out and go like, am I so used to the the language of sports films now that I'm missing these things? Or is the story just missing elements? And, you know, everything that I read about the film and the making of the film is that Gene Hackman really didn't believe in this film, thought this film was going to be a failure, did not like this director, gave the director, uh, David Anspaugh, so much anxiety uh, that he was going to be fired, but kept him on because he liked the dailies. But there's like a scene in the film during one of the big games or during the montage where Gene Hackman is like whispering to one of the players and the player laughs. And it was revealed uh, many years later that uh, Gene Hackman, what he whispered to him was, our careers are over after this movie. Uh, and, and there was this element that no one really believed in what this movie was doing, but then the reaction to it was giant. So I wonder if there is a little bit of, like, sometimes you can't dictate what people will, will really love. And, and, you know, and maybe the instinct is a little bit right, but maybe, I don't know. I just, it was one of the first sports movies where I didn't feel invested in the story or the I, I just I felt like we got like paint strokes of everybody but it wasn't even like stand and deliver where I I couldn't even like there wasn't enough there there yeah okay let's keep getting back I know what's wrong with the script because yeah. like that even that dunk tank scene right it mm-hmm. ends with Hopper making him this deal like fine I'll keep it together but you can't lose your temper anymore and get kicked out of games right and right. Hackman agrees, like very sincere sounding. And then yeah. the very next thing he does is he gets himself kicked out of a game on purpose because he wants, like, I guess, Dennis Hopper to feel that he has the confidence to also coach when he's not there. Right. And at that point, I was like, OK, so is Gene Hackman actually dead? But he's like a basketball angel who's like come to Earth to like only exist to get Dennis Hopper his mojo back because that's a different film. But I guess that could be what's happening here, because otherwise you're just showing me that Gene Hackman goes back on his word and nobody cares and nothing actually happens. He makes a solemn promise and it doesn't matter. And it it adds up to this thing about his character, which is like, I think he's a bad coach. I think he's yeah. a bad coach. He keeps getting, like, what is he good at? He shows up. He is like, I want you guys to play in a way where you're passing the ball around a lot. And it doesn't work. They don't really win that way. And he only does it to prove that they should listen to him. But, right. But they're listening to him and taking bad advice. And like, then he just gets himself kicked off a lot. And I have read coaches say that it is important on occasion to get yourself kicked out of a game or to get a technical so that your team believes that you will fight for them when it's necessary. But Gene Hackman is doing it when it's not necessary. So he's just getting himself kicked out and abandoning his team left and right. At this point, I am very much with the townspeople when they want to sign a petition and get him removed. Because how do they start winning games? Not because he becomes a great coach, just because Jimmy decides to come back on the team. And why does and Jimmy for what reason? For what Yeah, no reason. He like, I guess he wants to work with Gene Hackman, but like, why? He doesn't say anything about it. And they just start winning because he's better. So basically, when the townspeople at the beginning are like, just get Jimmy back on the team and do what we say, they are not wrong. And yet, in the middle of this movie, in the very middle of the movie, there is like the climactic ending scene where they're about to fire him. And Gene Hackman, this character, gives this big speech where he's just like, suck it. I was hired to teach the boys a game of basketball, and I did that to the best of my ability. Uh, I apologize for nothing. (laughs) 
You may not be pleased with the results, but I am. I'm very proud of these boys. What is his character arc? He shows up, he's bad at his job, and then they want to fire him, and he's like, screw you guys. And then he gets miraculously saved because Jimmy decides that he likes him, but we never see them talk. We never get to know anything else about Jimmy. We never know literally anything else about Jimmy except that one scene. And then they win. I think that is why I don't care that they win, because why? Like, I'm I'm not getting any feel for the game, even in the way that we did in Love and Basketball. Oh, now I'm getting upset. Can you tell? I'm getting really <laughs> no, upset. No, I, no, please do. I'm here. I'm with you. Like, what is what is the lesson of them winning? Like, is the lesson just that Jimmy will make everything? That's a kind of lame lesson. Jimmy will make everything. But he's like, I'll make this basket. He gets four lines. The last one is I'm going to make it. And he does. Is those Is the lesson Jimmy's just great? Like in that, like the teacher lady is wrong because like she was like, he should get an education. And like, so she's just wrong. Is that what this film is about? What is it about? Because it's not about teamwork or him being a good coach, even though he's like, I love you out of nowhere. He's I, I think I really don't like him. I think I really just do not like Gene Hackman's coach. And I don't understand why we should be happy for him ever. Well, I think that like he's breaking the mold of what a coach is. It just felt like nothing he did instilled anything that really made a difference. And you're right. And it comes down to the player that they needed comes back and then they win the championship. And he gets like a slow clap from his team in the middle of the film. In the middle, they give him the slow clap for what a good job he's doing. But what is he doing? Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? Okay, maybe that's what this is. This is a sports film that I felt I, I always imagined established all the sports cliches, like the slow mm-hmm. clap. But the slow clap comes at the end, right? Don't we all know that? Yeah, when does the I slow think clap so. Come yeah, in the middle. And why? What has he done to deserve that slow clap? I'm also surprised at how quick it moves. Like that's something that was really interesting to me. Like, yes, I'm having all these issues. I'm not fully committed to these characters. I think that there are things that are pretty about it. I think there are things that are, you know nice moments but i but at the same time it's moving quickly and briskly and maybe that is a secret to this movie's success too maybe we don't need to know how the dots connect or that's how people viewed this film but it is it is a weird it is a weird movie i did not particularly care that much about dennis hopper's character i know that you know the relationship between him and his son was interesting but it, it I'm violently angry that Dennis Hopper got an Oscar nomination for this and not for uh, Blue Velvet, which came out this, the same year. I like, mean, it, what is it, it that? Is. He got his supporting nomination for this movie where he just shows up and he's like, I don't know, like the improv actor parody of I'm a nervous drunk. Like, wh- like what is happening with him? I couldn't do it. I'm all shaky. and Oh, my hair is a mess. And I'm wearing a top hat for no reason. And Well, what? you know, 
it, we, we, I know a we top hat in Indiana? Like, I get it if you're like the weird kid. I, I went to Oklahoma. We had like we we had people who carried lutes to class, and we had people who wore capes and went barefoot because you want to be different in a small town. But I don't understand where where Dennis Hopper even bought a top hat. Yeah, I, I you know I'm not worried too much about the top hat, but I will say this much about it: like it is, it's a broad performance. I like that they narrowly avoid him being on the, you know, on the, on the sideline during the final game. And I think that was very much Dennis Hopper's uh, point of view because Dennis Hopper is a recovering addict and really wanted to respect the recovery journey and didn't want to Hollywood it. Um, It feels like snippets. Nothing feels earned. Like when he comes on the court drunk like that, it really is like, what? Like what made him get drunk? Like he what was made him get drunk? About, yeah, like but was he wasn't he even about screwing up. But he was he had he wasn't so many even, smart basketball opinions and what? And he also was like it so wasn't his mean, game. Like, the whole thing of him getting himself kicked out, of Gene Hackman getting himself kicked out, didn't even work. Like what does it all add up to? I feel like the script just misdirects you so much without any purpose. It feels clumsy because Gene Hackman shows up and he's like, "Don't worry, I'm not going to make Jimmy join the team." And yes. I am also here to teach civics. You know, the way he gets, like, completely interrogated by Barbara Hershey, like, in his opening scene. You're not the new coach. Are you expecting somebody different? <laughs> Younger, I guess. Oh, sorry to disappoint you. Yeah, no, I must have misunderstood Cletus. You see, he said he, he was hiring someone who never coached high school before, so I I coach in was... college. Uh-huh. And I hear you're a new history and civics teacher as well. <laughs> That's part of the job, as I understand. You have an experience teaching? <laughs> Tell me something. Am I being interviewed here? I thought I already had the job. Straight up. You know, if everyone is as nice as you, country hospitality is going to get an awful name. What a pleasant thing to say. From that setup and from the way he, like, then goes after Jimmy to be like, why didn't you show up in class? Like, you think he actually might care about being a teacher, and this maybe yeah. is also a film about academics. But, like, I, I actually don't believe at all that Gene Hackman has anything to say about civics. And he seems to actually not actually care about his... Like, he has no interest in being a teacher, even though the film pretends that he might have an interest in being a teacher. It just completely drops it. And so it makes me feel like, what was what was that for? Like, I don't believe in this character because everything you keep telling me about him, you take back like one scene later. It feels like the outline. It feels like the outline that we are missing connective tissue for. Um, and then I'm going to go on top of this and say, you know, David Anspaugh uh, made a movie that I particularly love with Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy. I believe it's called All the Pretty Horses. Oh, that's um, a great movie. Great movie. Um, and made Rudy, which I absolutely love. I think the football games in Rudy are shot so much better. Here, I, I, I've been had a hard time like really keeping track of the score and the movement. And, and, and it was... Um, you know, maybe I'm also just looking at those these weird white bodies just running around, looking all looking all uh, corn fed and uh, skinny skinny legged. Uh, but yeah, there was just like um, a weird pace to it. Like I would love to have seen a little bit more of an aggressive pace. I was thinking though, this movie comes out in '86, uh, and we had Mark Harris on the show, and we were talking to him about Working Girl. And in his Mike Nichols book, he was talking about how Working Girl came out in 1988. And it was the last year of the Hollywood film in the sense of, you know, that was a movie where there was a lot of nominations. And then the next year, really independent film really came into the Academy and and really took over. So when you go back and talk about Dennis Hopper, 
like this is a movie that feels like it has those showy performances that feel like it like but this is like two years before that happens and maybe the movie comes out in two years from now it doesn't get the same attention but i think that it it is disguised as a little bit more of a award baity kind of a movie or i like there's something about it. i'm like oh i wonder if the time also puts us in amber like it make oh yes that performance is great even though the blue velvet one's better like I wonder if it just gets caught up in this thing because it feels it's it's running you through the paces without actually, I think, nailing those. But I'm sure a million people will say, I love it, I love it, I love it. But we've also found numerous times, like if you would have asked me, what's the quintessential basketball movie? I would say, well, Hoosiers. I would have just said Hoosiers. But I don't know. Have people been watching it? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like my dad is going to haunt me because I was sad watching this film. I feel like I have let him down. And yet, like, oh, for every scene that I do sort of like, like the scene where um, he introduces his team to the school again, he's like, it's the beginning of the year and you have the cheerleaders who I love. Their, I love their cheerleader costumes. I would a thousand percent dress like one of those cheerleaders in that little red sweater. They were pretty there. great. Yeah. The yellow with the red. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and he and they're all cheering uh, for Jimmy. They wish that Jimmy was there on the team. And he's like, this is your team. You know, he gives that little speech. This is your team. I would hope he would support who we are, not who we are not. These six individuals have made a choice to work, a choice to sacrifice, to put themselves on the line 23 nights in the next four months, to represent you, this high school. That kind of commitment and effort deserves and demands your respect. I love that. And I was like, this is going to be a film about standing up for the guys on your team that you really believe in and like shaping them. And I, I don't dislike this character just because he's a jerk. Like, I think there can be compelling jerk things. And I would be interested in seeing where a jerk goes. Some of my favorite stuff in Love of Basketball was how like her college coach was not easy on her. You know, I yeah. really respected that. And yet never seeing him do the magic trick of pulling the team together and seeing that they do actually only win when Jimmy comes back felt like such a letdown yeah. that, that I, I just, I just felt mad. And then, and then don't even get me started on Barbara Hershey because now we have to get me started on Barbara Hershey because what is this romantic subplot? First off, I think Barbara Boo. Hershey, her character is insane. All right. So like Gene Hackman shows up. And she's just very mean to him, you know, from the beginning. Like, I don't like what you're going to do to Jimmy and blah, 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 blah. But then she keeps showing up at all of his games and being like the worst person in this entire town. Everyone else is like happy or cheering or giving a standing ovation. And she's just sitting there like Mike Myers in Halloween, like motionless, glaring at him in all of the basketball games. She's like this angry stalker who comes to every game, even though she's miserable, refuses to cheer or stand or smile and glares at him. For like 90 minutes of this movie. I mean, isn't that insane? Like, where, uh, yeah. where is her softening or growth? Like, she actually never, like, cares about the game of basketball. You know, she never seems to respect what he does. And then, like, somehow, when he's getting fired by the whole town, she, like, is in tears about it. 
Like she's so mean to him, but she like gives this little speech in front of everybody when they're about to fire him. And she's about, she's like literally sobbing. Her eyes are red and they're runny. And I was like, what is your problem, lady? Like pick a feeling about this guy. Like you love or you hate him. And one of these extremes, like, where are you? Like, why are you crying? Over? You don't cheer for anything. And then, and then like he asks her out on a date. This is maybe my favorite part. He asks her out on a date. And the first thing she says is she reminds him that he was arrested at a basketball game for choking one of his players. That's just her response. Norman Dale, coach of the uh, Ithaca Warriors, was suspended. I, I can't really explain that. It's been a number of years and it still kind of goes around in my head. I'm. I slow it down. Sometimes I really think that I can stop my fist from hitting a boy's jaw. One second, everything I'd worked for, it's just all finished. Funny thing, too, he's the best kid that ever played for me. Tough and stubborn and willful. Sounds like someone I know. I mean, that is insane. Can we talk about how that is crazy? And then he kisses her and she's like, great, we're in love now. What happened? Like, she's a terrible person, I think. I think she's bad just because she can pull out some weeds. She doesn't even use a hoe convincingly. Like, <laughs> he's like trying to help her, the farm girl, with her hoe. What is her problem? I think her problem is that she needs to be a romantic subplot in a movie that doesn't need to be there. And it feels like her character is like the script is rejecting her character. It's like it, the character doesn't want to be there as much as like it, it, there's no place for that character there. Why do we need that plot? Why do we need that plot in this movie? She looks actively mad. I mean, maybe this is me. Maybe this film is smarter than I am because maybe this film is like, oh, I see the cliche that you want. Like you want her to teach him how to be a better teacher. Maybe he becomes a better civics teacher because she instills in him the responsibility of also their academic lives, right? Wouldn't that be kind of what you'd expect? But that doesn't happen. Maybe that means the film is brilliant and it's subverting my expectations. But then also she's a psychopath and nobody should ever date her. And she should live alone in this town, unsmiling and miserable. And that should be the end of it. Well, I mean, look, this movie makes a lot of characters, a lot of characters are are I mean we talked about it already when the when the the star basketball player comes back it's like I want to play for that coach why why mm-hmm. what 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 is in it for you like there's nothing there you defend the person that has protected you and if it was even a member of the team I would buy it it's not you didn't even play with them what, what he liked the style. From the stands? Did he watch the games? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the editing puts a lot of weight on us watching people with no emotion watch a game. You know, like, Uh, he's watching the game also in his Michael Myers pose. And, like, I guess it means something to him. But I, I guess the thing is this. Are we so simple? Are we so easy to fool as a culture that you give me a story where I watch an underdog team do something and I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, you've sold me. I'm, I'm on board. And I feel like, is that all that we are? Like, is that enough? Is it enough to say based on a true story to see a bunch of kids score and win at the end of the game? And I leave going, I feel good about it. And that's where I go. 
this is the blueprint for what all other films become. But other films do it in a funnier way, they do it in a more dramatic way, and they do it more in an emotional way. And I think what the crux of all of this, it goes back to what we said in the beginning. These are hard-edged characters that we don't really feel fully connected to, but yet they're going through the motions of a film where you need, like, what? Is it Dennis uh, Quaid in The Rookie? Like, I feel for them. Or is it the misfits of Major League? You know, uh, we're going to be talking about cool runnings. Like, is it the fun of this other group? Do I want to be on this team? Do I want to be coached by this person? Do I want to live in this moment? And the answer in this one is no, no, no. I don't want to be a member of that team. I don't want to be coached by that person. I will say it goes down very easy. It's fun. It's a it's a fine watch. It's a fine watch. It just doesn't like hold up in any on any real questioning. Like I think Rudy is an amazing version of this film. I mean, yeah, Rudy's I'm kind of hoping version. that we actually that the that the fan pick might be Rudy for this, since I think that was also based on a true story. Because I it was. I'd like to give this you know this creative team another shot because you know finding so much of the problem with 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 the script and the idea that I think this just meant so much to like the writer and producer who were from Indiana that this story was really important to them to be told that it just it they they cut some beats out or something or or they, yeah. you feel the first timeness I think in the script you know like yeah. this is what this movie is supposed to have right I will give it to to you but I really just want to talk about this like final shot but and there are some things in here that I think like technically it does really well. Like when say, um, when say Ollie goes to the free throw line and it's like those important free throws that are going to like make or break this game. I love the way that they do the sound, you know, mm-hmm. of like what it would feel like to be standing there, to be so intimidated by everybody trying to cheer and boo and distract you. And like when the pressure's on, I felt that scene. You know what I think we really have to talk about, about what? this true story, is yeah. is what this film doesn't talk about, you know? Like, this film, I think, it's the David and Goliath story. Like, this small town playing the city school and the small town managing to win. But what is left out and becomes incredibly clear by its omission um, perhaps this is also our modernized talking, is that it does not deal with race at all. You know, I that thought this about that is a film where like everybody and everything is white until you get to the final game where you see basically the first black people in the entire movie. Yeah. And right before you see their face for the very first time, you get this prayer from the coach, which is like literally like setting you up to meet the opponents. With God of heaven, it is all one. To deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory of battle standeth not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. Amen. Amen. I have to say, like... To go from like calling people brutes and like Philistines to cutting to the only black characters in this film felt like that would never happen today, right? Without I don't like 
I went in and I was, I was really struck by it. So I went and tried to do a bunch of research. Um, and what I found actually, like, again, credit to Bobby Plump, the player that this was based on in real life, which by the way, if you want to hear Bobby Plump even make that real shot, this is the real game. So now that you've heard like Bobby Plump make the game that like really defined his whole life, like he has said really openly now, like as much as he said at the time, like this was just a story about hugging and loving and kissing. He was like, actually in the finals, as we led towards the semifinals um, where they played a certain school, we'll get into it in more detail. People in his town were like pulling over as he was like getting out to eat at restaurants and yelling, you have to beat those N words. Like that it was for the people of that town for the people who were like egging him on, it was also you, the all white team have to beat this team that has players of color on it. That that was actually some of the subtext alive at that time that the movie does not engage with at all. Like it's really just like big town, little town, but that's not how I think it felt at that game, you know? And the omission of that turns these guys into not so much the heroes. And so it's not there. Yeah. But it has to be grappled with, I guess. Or maybe maybe this is my modern sensibility, but like one of the teams they play in the semifinals, I think is really interesting. Um, and they don't come across like this in the film, but they played a team in the in the quarterfinals um, called Crispus Addicts High. In Crispus Addicts, um, if the name sounds familiar, Crispus Addicts was a man who was born into slavery and then yeah. escaped and wound up becoming the first person murdered during the Boston Revolution. He was shot by the soldiers. And John Adams actually defended the soldiers and was like, he was black and he was tall and it was scary. Um, so they named this high school after him in Indiana, and it was the all-black high school. And it was one of the schools that they played, that this that this team, that the Hoosiers team is based on, played in order to get to this winning shot. Um, and they beat them narrowly and it's you know folded into kind of their like underdog story of who they're like of on their way that they're climbing up um and yet crispus addicts the kids of this high school i think there should be a film made about them because honestly even though they came from like the bigger city quote unquote like they had it harder their school was so underfunded they didn't even have a basketball court that they could have a home games at they had to play all of their games that season at a, away at other people's basketball courts because they didn't have one big enough. So they always had to play with like away teams. They always had to play with other people like booing for them. They always had to play with like referees. There weren't even any black referees at this time. So they always had to play against coaches and referees that would do some dirty stuff, you know, call some stuff against them. And yet they persevered. And Crispus Addicts comes back the next year, the year after um, the Milan team wins everything, and they win the championship. And they actually become the very first all-Black school in the entire country to win a state championship. Like, entire country. I mean, that is your movie about the underdogs. And it, it just kind of watching this, I was like, I want to see that. Like, that is the story. I think that is way more interesting than these Hoosiers kids. I mean, it also leaves out in this movie that, like, one of the teams they built they beat on their way to the final was like half their own size, even smaller. They're like, 
I don't see what makes them so special. I agree. I think you could tell a story. It's tricky, right? Because it's supposed to be a true story. What's the full true story? I don't believe that that's the story that they want to tell. Now, I understand that's the story of the reality of the story. But I also feel like even at the end, there's no there's no uh, heat on that last game. I don't feel anything about that team. I don't feel like they're dirty. I don't feel like they are the enemy. I just feel like they are simply five bodies in a court. Now, was it shocking to see, you know, uh, black people on screen at that point? Yeah, because I think the only other time we saw it was like in the band. Um, and But that's a, this is the story. It's an all-white basketball team. I get that. So I'm not trying to be like, wait a second. But I do believe that, like, I would make the argument that in a way of making them flat, they're not even really an enemy. It's like, who's the enemy that we're leading up to? I get that that part is a, an omission. But that's not what this movie is trying to do. This movie is trying to be a feel-good movie about a team who overcomes odds and, and wins. And because they don't, they don't villainize any team, I'm like, fine. But I think also by not villainizing a team, by not really having anything there, it's like, it just, it, that team didn't seem any different to me than any other team that they played, in my opinion. But I think that, that team is having all the advantages, and it didn't. Well, you yeah, know? they definitely, yes, right. And they definitely feel like the, the yeah, you're right. I think that's very true, yeah. It just feels like there are people in this town to whom this win against this team mattered for reasons that the filmmakers knew about and didn't want to say, you know? Mm. And that makes me feel creepy. I mean, they definitely knew because like one of the um, people who's playing like the coach of the other team, um, Ray Crow, he was actually the coach of that winning team. Like he was actually yeah. that coach and they cast him to kind of as like a nod. Like we know yeah. who Crispus Attucks was. We know this team. We're going to, you know, represent it there. I'm not saying they should have like rewritten history and like, you know, cast black actors on like the Mylan team that weren't there. I'm just saying it's bizarre. Well, I guess at the end of the day, here's here's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, you put that into the film that the town wants them to beat this black team because there's an element of racism there. That's not a feel good movie because when they beat the black team, you're like, yeah, they did it for that racist town. I have a lot of filmmaking issues with this. I think that there are some things that are done really well. I think there's some things that are done very uneven. I think that Gene Hackman is always fun to watch, even though I don't feel like he's totally period specific. I feel like the music sometimes is crazy and then sometimes it's kind of spot on. I feel like um, the cinematography looks great in some sequences and looks terrible in others. I feel like they create a great tone and atmosphere, but there's no there there in this movie. And I think for most people... And maybe especially at this time, they were okay with that because they just wanted to see very simple. Here, did you hit all the beats? Town that needs a coach, they get a coach, they don't like the coach, then they like the coach, then they win, go home. I feel really good. That was a, tri- tri- a triumphant film. And it's the uh, it's the Instagram of uh, sports films in the sense of, I got it, saw it, scroll, swipe, scroll up, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's, just, it's, it's all there. So... While I hear what you're saying, um, I just think that it's, I I don't think it's any bit bigger than what it is, which is just fine, fair, okay. I think this film is one Lego brick in the worst template of American self-identity and victimization. I think that the way of capitalizing on America right now is to convince everyone that they're David and everybody else is Goliath. I don't think this team is particularly David. I just don't. I think they're a small town and 
they won. And it's hard to even say why, because they weren't coached that well and they're not that great at it. And honestly, those other teams were better. And congrats. And, you know, because I am now bristling, I'm just going to make you listen to like a minute of the film at my own choice. Here, I'm going to make you listen to a clip of them playing basketball. It's a slow motion scene that goes on for over a minute. And I just want you to listen to the grunts. I want you to really appreciate all of the grunt work in this. I mean, no. I think. Are you with me? I look. We are on the same page, um, and clearly, we're the minority here. I wanted to know, like, when this movie came out. I, I think people absolutely loved it, right? They did. I mean, this was actually a case where I was like, maybe I should pull just like Roger Ebert saying nice things about it because I'm so mad. Um, but I didn't. What I did pull is the Chicago Reader, who was one of the only rare negative reviews I could find because it was. Loved. It got two Oscar nominations, the score and if for Hopper. Um, the Chicago Reader says, Gene Hackman stars as a high school basketball coach who takes his small town Indiana team to the state championship finals. But the director seems only marginally concerned with basketball thematics. What matters most is feeding white bread fantasies. The film is set in the slow footed 50s when blacks are only a rumor and nobody's ever heard of slam and jam and laying on the inspirational corn. The styling is aggressively frowsy to conform to Hoosierland stereotypes. Landscapes glower in varying shades of gray. Locals wear bib overalls and dumpy brown jackets. Gray and brown seem to be the state colors, gnarled and pasty, the predominant facial types. And weekends are an endless succession of booster caravans to the big game. As the coach, Hackman gets to jump off the bench, wave his arms and yell, go get him at his players. And why does he conduct practices in street shoes? With Barbara Hershey, Sheb Woolley, and Dennis Hopper verging on self-parody as an Oscar-hunting drunk. Yeah, don't disagree. Yeah. On the same page. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to Sheb Woolley though. Um, we had, we, I, we, I love it when Sheb Woolley shows up. Uh, he was in High Noon. Um, huh? He's here as Cletus Summers, as his principal friend, who like gets sick and then disappears from the film. Uh, and if you remember our fun fact about Sheb Woolley from when we talked about him in High Noon, he not only was the scream of the Wilhelm scream, but he is, of course, the songwriter of Purple People Eater. Oh, look at that. Well, there we go. There's some positive there. I mean, I don't know if we can, or if it's even worth us talking about sending this to space. I think we really did a, a pretty bang-up job of talking about why it would not be our first choice to go to outer space. No. Um, you know who did like this film? And I will who? say it in, in their absentee, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant loved this film. Uh, Kobe Bryant watched it a ton. And once Kobe Bryant... Um, even decided on purpose to go golf with um, the guy who played Jimmy uh, Chitwood, Maris Valianis, who uh, became like a golf pro instructor. And so once mm-hmm. they played golf and talked about Hoosiers together. And I will also say that I love the this, this scene where um, Maris is just shooting basketball after basketball and he doesn't miss one. I think that's great. I think this, that kind of special effect really thrills me. 
in a film? Well, I mean, it it worked. It was actually just something that happened, right? Yeah, like he just happened to make all of those. Like he's a guy who got cut from his high school basketball team three times, but he got wow. ca- he got cast in this film and made all those shots and missed that last one on accident. He he meant to make it, but I think thematically, the fact that he misses it when a uh, hackman walks off is pretty nice. So that's nice. Um, I am confused. Why do you think this movie is called Hoosiers though? Because it's about an Indiana team. And Hoosiers is, a, it is you know, kind of the nickname for all of Indiana, although Hoosiers are specifically, you know, also the university. Um, but it's not the name of this team, you know? So it's kind of like, okay, well, here's what's confusing me. Who, if Hoosiers is all Indiana people and also all Indiana basketball teams, then like the Hoosiers are playing the Hoosiers at the finals and they do nothing but play other Hoosiers. And Hoosiers seems like it should be an umbrella that all of the teams fall under. So like- who are the Hoosiers if everyone is the Hoosier? Who is the Hoosier? And that's should have been the way that we started today's episode because we are asking that and we don't have an answer. This movie doesn't really have an answer. And I think this movie is one of those films that's going to live in the back of people's minds as being a great, great film. Uh, but people probably haven't watched it in a very, very long time. And give me love and basketball over this, even though it has nothing to do exactly with this same kind of, you know, championship team, but it gives me much more of a mentality of a, a basketball player and, and, and the struggles that they have to go through. I, I found maybe it's also watching that film so closely to this film. I, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. But I do know that in 1987, then Vice President Dan Quayle asked Miriam Webster's dictionary if they could add a new definition for Hoosiers to the dictionary. He wanted Miriam Webster to add a definition for Hoosiers that was... Um, Quote, someone who is smart, resourceful, skillful, a winner, unique, and brilliant. And Merriam-Webster said no. Good. Good for Merriam-Webster. Yeah. Because I also don't think the movie shows that either. (laughs) I have to say there's a part of me that enjoys that we didn't like something for the first time. You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, oh, wow, we, we really love what we've been watching. And it was it was interesting to see that, A, we're not, we haven't fallen victim to our own trap, you know, that we uh, we only are creating for ourselves like a, a joyous experience. But it was interesting to kind of feel like, I get this movie. I just don't think this movie is worthy of all the attention that it gets. That's fair. And I guess I will go burn some candles so my dad does not yell in my ear, how could you not like a movie that it mattered a lot to me? <laughs> All right. Well, next week we have a, another film that um, is really a classic, another classic. Hopefully we'll get a better uh, taste of this one. It's called Brian's Song. It's Jimmy Kahn and Billy D. Williams. And this is another film I have not seen, but is preached to me as one of the best. Uh, a little bit of a different football story. And I'm excited to watch it with you. But before we do that, let's take a listen to the trailer. This is a story about two men. They competed for the same job. One was white, the other black. (laughs) One liked to talk a lot. You said, "Uh uh-huh. The other was shy as a Mm three-year-old. Rookies got to stick together. Our story is about how they came to know each other, fight each other. I'm going to whip you, Sayers, but you got to be at your best. And help each other. I think I I owe you a beer. How are you? A lot more than that. Yeah. 
comes down to is that J.C. had a notion here, and Ed seems to think it's a good idea. We'd like you and Brian Piccolo to room together. You had me worried. I thought it was something really. Yes, this is something really. Man, you're talking about a white man and a black man rooming together on a team that's never been done before. What J.C. is saying is that there may be some pressures, severe ones. All right, Brian's song can be watched uh, wherever you stream films. And Amy, rough start. We are starting off as an underdog in this series. We are starting off under the gun. We we have one loss under our belt. Will it go up? We don't know. We have a tough lineup in front of us. No, but I'm excited. This is actually the first miniseries we've done where I haven't seen half the films. Yeah. So this is going to be... I'm excited. I'm excited. I have not seen this one, um, Brian's song either, so... Uh, so I'm ready. I'm hoping for some slam dunks. Well, I cannot wait for you to meet Brian Piccolo. Um, all right, everybody. We will see you next time on Unspooled. Unspooled.